I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Sherry McMullen is a fellow retailer and a friend who owns Shop McMullen in Oakland, California. I so admire her entrepreneurial spirit, her business acumen, and the way she champions emerging designers. Sherry McMullen, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Laura. <laughs> we're far we're far away from each other, but you sound close. I know. I know. And we'll get back to seeing one another in person soon. Tell me if I'm misremembering this. I feel like during one of the craziest, and and you and I know have been through a lot of strikes in Paris, (laughs) that remember Operation Escargo, which is the most genius name thing when the taxis were striking against And it was like a snowstorm. And I really, I feel like you were pregnant or something. Tell me the story. Oh my gosh, Laura. I don't even know if I want to remember that. <laughs> so, such a crazy time. It was always something going on. And it always happens coincidentally when we're at market. But I was pregnant. I was, I think, seven months pregnant or seven and a half months pregnant. Oh my God. And my doctor said, well, this is your last trip. I was like, okay, this I, I have to go to Paris because I'm missing... February market, I need to um, get my orders in for the next season, like my crazy self thinking about work the whole time. She's like, this is your absolute last time. You can travel and get on a plane. So I was there and I was there through through market and I was walking around and probably doing a little bit like too much walking. And um, I remember at the end of it, you know, there was like this frenzy of getting out because there was a strike with the taxi drivers and the Uber drivers were really afraid. I couldn't get an Uber to pick me up. Right. Now it was early in the morning. My flight was, I think, at seven or eight or something. And I went on the app and did the Uber and they called and they said, where are you going? And I said, the airport. And they said, no, we can't take you. And then they hung up and that was it. And that happened a couple of times. So then by the third time, I said, okay, I'm not going to tell them the airport if they call. And they called and they were like, where are you going? And I said, um, <laughs> you know, I don't even know what I said, but I definitely didn't say the airport. We got in the car, got the luggage in the car. And I said, I'm going to the airport. I'm also seven months pregnant. I have to get home. Yeah. And they were like, Hey, well, we're just going to take you a back way. So they were like trying to figure out how to get to the airport so they literally wouldn't get attacked. And it was. Yeah. And let me explain that, too, because I think it's it's hard to understand unless you have been to France and experienced every single strike. But the taxi union was striking against Uber. And so they were blocking streets. They were like beating drivers. I mean, it was, it was really extreme. It was crazy. And you, and you would be driving down the highway and there'd be a blockade of taxis. And so you got there, but then you had to stop like at the ramp or something and walk up. (laughs) 
I remember this. Well, I remember seeing the taxi drivers and they were getting out of the car and they were coming towards my Uber car and they stopped. I said, get my luggage out of the back. I had a huge, you know how much we pack when we're, we're, we're there. So I had my huge luggage, one big piece and then my carry on. And I literally had to like jump over like a, like a gate and the Uber driver took my luggage and threw it on the other side. And I put my leg across the gate, seven months pregnant, and I grabbed my luggage and I and I ran to the airport. It was oh, really, really sick God. after all of that, of course. I mean, anyone would, but, you know, yeah. seven and a half months going through that. I, yeah. But your little, your little person is fine. Oh, he's so great. He's <laughs> not little anymore. He's still my baby, but he's, he's five now. So that Aww. was a while ago. Well, I think the moral of the story is don't mess with a girl from Oklahoma. (laughs) There are not a lot of us, I guess, Southerners, I guess you call Oklahoma the South, I think. In fashion, tell me what it's like to be from Oklahoma. What was it like growing up there? I mean, it was great. It's, you know, Oklahoma City is where I grew up and I grew up in a very close-knit family. There are six children. Uh, My dad was really trying to get a boy and um, (laughs) it's like girl, 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 boy. (laughs) And then I came after that. But yeah, it was was, really close-knit, still are. Everyone is between Oklahoma and Texas now, and I was the one who decided to move away and and sort of stay, but I get to see my family quite often, actually, but I haven't seen them in like a year and a half. Yeah. I'll see them next month. But yeah, I mean, it was great just growing up. It was, you know, easy. What's your first fashion memory? You know, I worked at... The Limited Express. Do you remember the Limited? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I loved to. I loved to hire people who worked there because they were great folders. Great folders, <laughs> right? great merchandisers. Um, so that was my first, I would say, job in the industry. I was 16 years old. I loved yeah. it. I've always loved fashion. My my mom was a fashion woman. She wasn't in fashion. She was in real estate, but she. She was always dressed. Um, she yeah. always wore lipstick. She always wore really cool shift dresses and maxis, and she'd pair them with cowboy boots and um, amazing headscarves. And just she just knew how to like mix it up and 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 do prints the right way. So I saw that growing up, and my grandmother was the same way, and my aunts, and um, so many of the women in my family just love fashion. Um, so I think I really saw that and embraced that and not knowing at that time, that's the industry I would go into, but yeah, I saw it from a very early age. Also big sisters, I think. Big you sisters. learn a lot about fashion from big sisters. Yeah. Yes. yes. Although <laughs> I, was, I, I got some of their hand-me-downs, which I wasn't mad at. It was okay. Sometimes what happens with big families, sometimes you just have to, that's just the way it is. It's like my parents were like, okay, yeah, you're, you can wear Tia's sweater <laughs> from whatever year. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about more about your mom. I know that um, I've not been to your store, but I've seen beautiful pictures of it. And I know that there are pictures of your family in the store. Um, and your mom looks so chic to me. She sounds like she was interesting, different than the other moms. Well, you know, my mom was um, um, a very special woman. She was a very spiritual woman. You know, I grew up watching my mother uh, meditate every single day. And that was before 
anyone was even really talking about. <laughs> before it was chic. <laughs> yeah, before it was chic. And she, you know, we grew up knowing that that was her time and that was her space. And we respected that. Yeah. You know, she she meditated throughout the day and it was her peace and her calm. It was a really special thing. She would travel to California. She would go to Carmel, which was a really special place for her. And, and then I ended up here, not really knowing that I would come here as an adult. But she was, you know, she was a very strong woman. She raised six children and uh, and she was she she worked. So she worked for herself. She was in real estate and she had her own real estate company and did really well. She had cancer and she passed away when I was 13. Oh, wow. She's no longer with us. She was through her religion. She didn't do the traditional way of um, treating cancer. So she did mm -hmm. more homeopathic ways and things that really worked for her. And what were some of the things you learned from her? I mean, I, you obviously, I would think, learned a lot about business from her. I did. Yeah. I learned about business and I, you know, so much of who she is, like I think about her always sort of embracing everything that we wanted to do. I mean, she was, um, she, she, she worked, but she was also there for us for every single activity that we had growing up. She was there and present. Um, and that mm -hmm. was really important for her. And I think, you know, that's, that's how I am also with my child. It's like, I, I work and I love, enjoy what I do, but I'm also very present with my son when I'm with him. And that's something that I remembered about her is that yeah. um, she really made the time for all, you know, for all of us. I was going to say that's a lot with six children too. I mean, it's a yeah. lot. <laughs> I can't imagine having one other one, but she did it. And it's a little bit different when you're in the Midwest. And also there was, you know, there was family around. Um, so we had lots of cousins. My grandmother lived with us at one point and, and helped in sort of raising us as well. So there was a lot of support, I would say. And you had a knack for business at an early age? I did. I had a, a business actually early on. I was had a candy business where I was selling, selling candy for a profit. <laughs> Probably like my first entry into sort of being a business business person, a young business person. <laughs> um so yeah, I would say I'd always have always had a knack for for business. You went, Sherry, you went to college and studied business? I did. Yep, from the beginning I knew that was, you know, my dad said this is a very practical thing and you're really good at numbers and I think you will be able to get a job <laughs> after school and you will, uh, yeah, so you should study accounting. And I said, okay. And that made sense in my mind. I was 16 going on 17 and went off to college and, um, and studied accounting. That's young. Yeah. I knew at some point I would, I was going to go into fashion, but I didn't know how I would get into that world because I wasn't, exposed to the business side of fashion growing up in Oklahoma. You just, sure. you know, didn't see that. How did your, your next chapter with the Neiman's Executive Development Program come about? After school, I'd moved to Dallas and sort of thinking about what I was going to do next. And 
I did some internships throughout college, accounting internships, like accounting, banking, but I really wasn't in love with it, but I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a chance. And I moved to Dallas and was working with this startup um, gaming company that's that's no longer around. And I, I took a job part-time at BCBG. It was when they first came out. And yeah. I was working like my full-time accounting job and then working part-time in retail because I wanted to be you know, in the business, in the industry, and then later started working at Gucci. And then I applied for the executive development program that I heard about through a friend who was also going through the same thing. So she was working in accounting and not loving it and wanting to be into something <laughs> more creative. And she told me about the program. So we both applied for it. We got in and that was the start of it. You probably have the the advantage over everybody in that program, I would imagine, just from having your background in accounting. I think they really liked that I had that background and they were like, oh, do you want to do buying? You want to do planning? I'm like, I definitely want to do buying. Mm-hmm. And so I went into that. And their program is if you decide that you're going to stay within their career path, you remove from the buying office to the stores and back to the buying office to the stores and you rotate And when I was deciding, when I was going through my next phase, I was recruited by William Sonoma Mm. and I ended up moving to San Francisco and then staying out here. Do you have your buying team work on the floor? I do. I think it's important. Yeah, I do too. I think you have to be, in order to be a great buyer, you have to understand product merchandising, the, the, the clients who are coming into the store. Yeah. We just need to understand, you know, the whole process. Yeah. So tell me, so Pottery Barn, uh, Williams-Sonoma directly and then Pottery Barn or or straight to Pottery? Same company. Same company, right. I say Williams-Sonoma because it's the corporation, but they recruited me and they brought me out to interview for all of their brands. At the time, it was Williams-Sonoma, Pottery Barn, Catalog. And retail. And then there was also Hold Everything that's no longer around. Right. And then Chambers, which is, I think now like Williams-Sonoma, their home store, but it was more of sort of their high end. And then there was Pottery Barn Kids that was not a business. It was more of a concept. And it was Laura Alber, who's now the uh, CEO of Williams-Sonoma. It was her baby and her brainchild. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the end of interviewing, she had me in her office and she's like, what do you think? What area do you want to go into? And I said, Pottery Barn Kids. I mean, to be a part of something from the very beginning was really intriguing for me and exciting. And I I wanted to be a part of that. Flew back to Dallas. And then a couple of days later, I had an offer. Two weeks later, two or three weeks later, I'd moved to California and I was in San Francisco. And so what was your role within that? So I was a textile buyer. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So I was a buyer for rugs, window. Yeah. So all the text, the textile part of the world. And was it a natural progression? Like, I mean, did you, did you understand it? I mean, was it easy to, to sag into that or was it a totally new language? It was easy. It was easy because I understood the, I, you know, I had the foundation of just the, the entire process of taking a business concept or a product and figuring out what that means from like 
margins, profitability, all of the business piece of it, and then Mm -hmm. bringing it into the store. What was so different is that I had not been on the the design side of it, the product development, and I loved that. Um, So it was really like taking an idea and a concept that was talked about, we collaborated on it, and then seeing that through fruition and actually going into the stores. And then we actually, we, we, we set up the stores because they didn't exist. So being wow. part of I that. That was fun. Oh, it was so much fun. It yeah. was so much fun. We'd do these mock stores um, in San Francisco. We'd have these like, <laughs> warehouse spaces and we would create, we do a mock store and then we open stores all over the country. And it was just really an exciting time to be a part of something from the very beginning. And I started having these moments of thinking, gosh, I would love to do something like this for myself. And did you take notes along the way to <laughs> about what, what what the roadblocks were and things to remember? And what, like, what was your biggest learning in that experience? Gosh, I mean, I was so young and I had so much responsibility. And I, I think at that time I was like in my early 20s and I I felt like I knew everything, um, <laughs> you know, as many People do sort of fresh out of school, a little bit of experience under their belt. I just felt like I knew more than I actually did. (laughs) You know, I had managers like, okay, you know, Sherry, like you have to, you know, chime it down a bit. And I'm like, but why? Why do I have to chime it down? I have these ideas and I want to be heard. So I started writing a business plan during that time when I was working. And again, I had, you know, great experience, um, learned so much about not only the business side, the product development and traveling, working with vendors from all over, just, you know, such a respect for the craft and the process that was going into, you know, bringing to life these pieces that customers were ultimately buying. And I just, I really enjoyed that and just learned a tremendous amount of working with a big team. I had moved to Oakland at that time, was living in San Francisco first, moved to Oakland, fell in love with the city. And I knew I wanted to do something for myself, but I really missed, you know, fashion. Yeah. And I was here in Oakland and I found myself always buying things in San Francisco or going to Walnut Creek, which is another side of the the bridge, the tunnel. And I just thought, well, why isn't there something here in Oakland? I know that people would want to support a local business here. And I found that so many businesses were around for a long time. You know, business has been around for 20 years, 15 years. I said, okay, so businesses are well supported here. So this is a place where I want to be. That's an interesting idea. I don't know that I've ever thought about things in that way. Mm -hmm. That's a smart way to think about it. I'm I'm just sort of thinking about stores here and sort of whether it is a supportive community like that. But that that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean it's you know, that was one of the things that drew me to Oakland is there's there's a strong sense of community here. And I always loved really like supporting my local grocer or you know, florist and of course restaurants here. So that was always a really important for me. And I also was just thinking about growing up too. We were always surrounded by a lot of local businesses that we were always supporting. And my parents were like really big um, supporters of the local grocers, the local banks. So I think that was always in me. And I moved to Oakland and I felt that sense of community. 
I love that. And, uh, yeah. And so you opened in 2007, which mm-hmm. um, is a really interesting time to open because sure. what I remember about 2007 actually is that it was bananas. Like people yeah. were buying hand over fist. It was so crazy, yeah. it, you know, and to think back on that <laughs> mixed with 2008, which was not like that. <laughs> I guess I, a lot of people have opened businesses during during the recession. I'm like, well, I mean, I guess it can't get worse. But in 2007, I, it could get worse. I mean, it did get worse. So what was that like? That's got to be super scary. Well, you know, I opened in 2007. It was really exciting. People were um, had fully embraced what we were doing. You know, I found this space. And I, I when I opened, I wasn't like quite ready. Um, mentally, I was ready, but I didn't have everything in place. So I was thinking... I found this space and it was under development. And I thought, gosh, do I, you know, am I ready? Am I ready to do this? And it all. You're never ready. You're never <laughs> it's ready like, that's it. like saying, you're already ready to have a baby. You know? ready. Exactly. <laughs> no one tells you. They're like, just do it. Yep. You'll be fine. <laughs> so I, I did. And I opened the end of 2007 and it was great. And then 2008 happened. Luckily, <laughs> we opened the, the, the year before. So we were, we were growing the business. It was a unique time for us because we were really sort of right at the beginning. So I could really manage that just knowing what was happening, you know, with everything with with the stock market and the crash. And so I could really manage that closely. And I worked all the time I was working. It was just me. Um, I kept my business very lean. Um, I was just by, I was not taking a lot of risk. Um, I was just buying what I knew would work. A couple of years later, I felt more comfortable with taking risk with other designers, other brands, buying international brands and so forth. But in the beginning, I was doing LA market, I was doing New York market, and just buying like a handful of like really interesting brands. Some were emerging brands and some were just brands that established brands that had been around. And at what point did you feel like the business was going to be successful? I would say a few years in when... You know, I remember that moment when I could actually afford to pay another employee. That was a yeah. that was a moment for me because like I said I just I, I was working and I was living above my store. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I was always there. So the store was ground level and then there were condos above. So I was living, I was I was always working, but I remember saying, Okay, I can actually hire someone. And that was an important moment for me um, with my business because I knew that, okay, we're doing something right. You know, I'm, I'm actually, you know, able to make a living doing that, but it takes time and you really have yeah. to stay clean as long as possible because it wasn't something that was like handed to me. You know, I had savings. I had a little bit of savings. I got a $50,000 friends and family loan. And talk to me about that a little bit. You've expressed how difficult it was to find funding, which was shocking, I think, given your career experience and your background. Why was it difficult and how did you ultimately overcome that? Well, it was difficult. You know, I didn't understand it at the time. I was going into banks. I had my business plan and I had years of experience and, you know, I felt like I had, I was doing everything right, but I could not get funding. And like every single bank turned me down and they were like, it's too risky. And, 
um, come back to us in a couple of years or, you know, the lifespan of a retail business is only a couple of years, come back in a few years, I would go back in a few years, it still wasn't enough, you know, I wasn't making enough money for them. And that continued for a really long time. And it was frustrating because here, you know, I felt like I was doing everything right. Although I was learning, like, listen, I made mistakes along the way, of course, but I was so committed to my business and, you know, what I wanted to create and give to our community and give to, you know, people who wanted to buy and support our business. And I think, you know, the studies have shown that, you know, Black women are the least funded uh, group of entrepreneurs, and we are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, but we just don't get money. Right. And whether that's from, you know, VCs or from banks, whether it's big banks or local banks, it is a challenge for Black businesses and especially Black female businesses. Yeah. I started to learn and understand that along the way and started thinking about, you know, how are we going to do this? We're going to have to, I'm saying us, me, I'm going to have to sort of figure this out. Did you have a mentor? I mean, did you have somebody that advised you or or helped you through that? Or was it really just, was it just you? Well, I mean, I definitely had mentors and those mentors would tell me to stay as lean as possible as long as you can, because, you know, there are going to be challenges along the way, especially being a small business owner. One of my mentors told me, He said to focus on your branding. So invest in your branding and like your inventory, but also, you know, work to get like lines of credits for inventory, but don't put money into building out, you know, this, this big store, stay small and, you know, find ways to create a beautiful environment, but not spend a lot of money on that. And that's what I did. So in the beginning I was, I went to um, antique stores and and I love antiques anyway. So that, you know, to, to be able to incorporate that into my business was um, really nice. But I didn't spend a lot of money on that. I was really focused on the branding, the customer experience. I want to talk also a little bit about expansion, both in what you sell and your locations. Mm-hmm. How did that happen and, and where did you go? About three years into the business, 2010, I expanded, moved into a space that was about a mile away, um, doubled my space. I started with, I think, 800 square feet and then went into 1,500 square, 15, 1,600 square feet pretty much the same neighborhood, but I found this beautiful space. It didn't need a lot of work. It was pretty much turnkey. And I was also thinking about just my, the designer mix that I had. When I started my business, it was truly a contemporary store. We started with brands like Diane von Furstenberg, um, Catherine Melandrina, Rebecca Taylor, Tibby, mm-hmm. who we still carry today. Gosh, a, you know, a lot of like the true contemporary very feminine brands. And then we started introducing a few more emerging like development at the time. I'm sure you remember Laura, so many of these mm-hmm. brands, right? Development. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Rag and Bone, you know, we launched Rag and Bone yeah. at this, just like a, a lot of those brands. So I was starting, Alexander Wang started incorporating a little bit of a different mix, um, still sort of. And these, that was successful from the beginning, that the expansion the of that? Yeah, from the yeah. very beginning. And I just saw there was a change in how women were dressing and also 
Um, I want it to become more lifestyle and not just so focused heavily on dresses. And then you also did home, I think? We started home just recently. We started home in 2018 when I moved again for the third time. We moved into where we are now, which is our flagship um, location downtown. Wow. But a mix of more designer brands, you know, with a real focus on those emerging brands, um, sort of being the first to discover brands, discover brands that maybe a larger retailer or another retailer may have overlooked for whatever reason, um, we would bring in, you know, I was always looking for sort of the best designers out there, regardless of location. Well, and at this point, you have 12, 13 years of people, your clients trusting you and, and wanting to know what your opinion is, who you think is great, who you think is the next big thing. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different way of being in the market, I think, too. And then tell me about Palo Alto. Well, Palo Alto, we opened at the end of 2019, so a few months before COVID. At the time when I was opening and thinking about expansion, I felt like it would be a great market because we already had a customer base there. You know, no one was doing what we were doing. You know, there are great retailers there and there were, you know, some are still there and some are not. But what we were doing, I thought would bring a a different point of view. Um, So I found a space and then off to a great start. And then we, three months later, had to close for COVID. Yeah. And then I reopened in August and... You know, it was this past August, it was just really difficult. It was difficult to, you know, open any new business and figure out a customer base. It takes time, as you know. Yeah. Um, And we just didn't really, like, we couldn't, we didn't really have that time given the businesses around us were closed and customers just, it's a different time. So we ended up closing at the end of, end of December. And that's really hard. Once I got there, you know, it takes some time to get to that place because you're always thinking about, well, if I do things a little differently or if I do, if I, you know, open part time and and then once you get to that place where maybe it just doesn't make sense right now, it doesn't mean that I can't revisit it later. But right now, let's just focus on what we're doing really well and successfully. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really the place that I got to. And it was really it was a very easy decision (laughs) I I think we have the most special job in the world, being able to serve women um, in their communities and to know them deeply and to help them and support them. What's been the most meaningful part of the business for you over the past 14 years? You know, I would say getting to know our clients over the years. So many of our, the people who are with us today were with us from the beginning. Like I remember those special moments, whether they were getting married or having starting their families, getting to know their children, watching their children grow up and developing those relationships. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, three generations of women that we're dressing. That's really meaningful for us and for me um, to really have a store where people connect in that way, where they like, I want my daughters to come and find things from you and, you know, for their first job or all of those moments um, are really special. The world is starting to open up again. We had a little event in the store today, and it really did feel like I could see oh. the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what changes did you make during the pandemic that you think will will remain personally or professionally? 
Well, you know, last year there was a lot that happened and it was a moment for us to really just slow down. Um, yeah. Just running, 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 traveling so much. Um, I wasn't in the store enough and I love being in the store and I love being with my customers and being with my team, but we were just, you know, gone. And yeah. I think just the race, the, the pace of the industry was just very fast and mm. things just needed to shift and slow down just generally. And for us to like, really think about, you know, the brands that like, what brands do we really want to carry? Who are our true partners? Who do we really want to get behind? How do we hold hands through all of this? Um, and that's what we did. It's like, I was, you know, had calls with my designers regularly, like, how do we get mm. through this moment? And then you really truly understand who your, your partners are and who you want to get behind. Yeah, it's so right. And the partner thing is really undervalued because I think that especially during hard times, I mean, 2008, 2009 for us, but also this, you really realize who your partners are. And you also realize that I think some people you just don't, they may be great designers, but you just don't want to do business with them anymore because really? they're hard to work with. Really? <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of those. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I really ha I have. And it's such a relief too. You're just like, you know what? I am done. And I feel okay about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then you think, like, yeah. Why was I holding on to that? Because it yeah. was, you know, it's like it, 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 it never really quite worked <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So why am I holding on to that? So it was, yeah, it was definitely a moment of, feeling um, some freedom from that, that as well. Yeah. Last year, we really embraced the, the technology, the digital piece of our business e-commerce. Mm -hmm. When I closed, we started doing these lives with um, many of our designers. I saw them. They were so good. Thank you. Thanks. I mean, at the very beginning, I was like, you know, my store is boarded, but I'm going to go into my store. <laughs> I want to like, put on some pretty things. And for 30 minutes, just take our, the people who are tuning in, take, take us away from what was happening on the outside and just bring us into the beauty of design and art and fashion and, you know, all the reasons why we love this industry and love being mm. a part of it. Well, I think for me, I learned so much more about you. I mean, I think you became a different person really. And, and I, I learned a ton about what you what you believed in, what you loved. I mean, it, it was like a whole new world, truly. Thank you. I was definitely very vocal about uh, things that are important to me. And it's it's also, you know, our base is that way as well. Like our yeah. base, really, our customers really care about so many things. And I also wanted to use my platform to highlight everything that was going on in the world. It was a very, yeah. very heavy time you know, being a, a mom, especially like having to talk to my son about, you know, so much of what was happening. He's like five yeah. years old and I didn't want to have to have conversation, heavy conversations about so many different things. But um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a time where we, it was important for us to talk about everything that was going on and knowing that the, the the world needed to change and our country needed to change. And do you feel closer to your clients? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they got us through. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know what to do. I had never had to close layoff team ever yeah. in 14 years I've been in business. I, 
you know, I felt a sense of pride about that. It's like always feeling like I could just, you know, take care of the people who supported us. And there was this moment where I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. I've got to get into another mindset of how am I going to save the business so that everyone can have a place to come back to once we, once we open. And I was in the store and I was, I was boxing up things Yeah. while my team was doing sort of the digital piece. I was in the store and I was boxing orders and, and reaching out to customers and they were reaching out to us. How can I support? I'm like, let us ship you things. Can Mm -hmm. we ship you, can we ship you product? And they said, yes, they were like, yes, yes. Send me things. And that, that got us through that time. One of the things that did go back a little bit to normal was the Oscars and you dressed the most beautiful client of yours. She looked so fabulous. Tell me about that. Oh, Dana, she looks so beautiful. Dana Murray, she is a producer at Pixar and she won for her, her movie Soul, which is an incredible movie. And, you know, the relationship goes back like many, many years. And we work with so many amazing women at Pixar. And, you know, she was going through the whole circuit and we we're dressing her for different awards events. And she's like, I'm nominated. I think I'm going to be not, I don't know. But um, if so, I really want to wear a black designer. And I was like, you absolutely should. I know you had the designer in mind because I, I know you you love him. I've, I've seen you love on him. But did you have the dress in mind from the beginning? I had a couple of dresses in mind. And I just, I wanted to make sure that you know, people pull his product all the time. So I just wanted to make sure we had the right one that hadn't been photographed and, you know, all the things that go into it. But I had two in mind. And the my favorite that I had in mind for her was the one that she ended up wearing. And it was just, it was perfect. And then we put her in Harwell Godfrey jewelry and Kyrie rings. And she's like, what about this bag? I was like, this is perfect. It's Lisa for a while. So she was really dressed. She was dressed in all designers of color, which was just, um, that's so cool. Incredible. It's so cool. It really is. And there, I mean, it's just, there are just so many talented designers. They're, they're all just incredibly, um, gifted at what they do. And like, there's no reason why they shouldn't be seen on the red carpet. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It was, it was spectacular. Couldn't have been on a more beautiful gal. I mean, she was so, she was darling and just looked joyful and really looked perfect. What did you wear to the prom in Oklahoma City? Ah, okay. I don't remember the designer. So I went to, um, (laughs) I went to the, the junior prom and the senior prom. So I went to both. Okay. The junior prom I wore, Oh my gosh. So navy and black together. Beautiful. My favorites. <laughs> uh, navy taffeta. Pretty. <laughs> dress with a black velvet bow. Oh, and that's fabulous. Mind, spring. So I'm trying to figure <laughs> out why. <laughs> yeah. Why I don't I think seasons really mattered back then. Yeah. <laughs> But it was navy and black, so navy, yeah. And then the second one was a black. Oh no, it was no, that was homecoming. Oh, the <laughs> the, the the second one, my senior one, was a red lace, kind of a shifty dress. Cool. 
we were, yeah, we we're like, we're, it's going to be an easy. Sounds easy very long then. I do love when people, when you ask the question, they're like, well, I went to a lot of proms. So let me, <laughs> which one do you want to hear about? <laughs> it sounds like you, you were tray chic from the very beginning and um, thank goodness you've chosen this career. I loved hearing about your journey and uh, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. I appreciate it. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balta Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.